0: Happy Shocktober. A couple of announcements. Uh, this is officially episode 100 of the Conspiracy Skeptic Podcast. I, I know other podcasts hit the 100 mark in a couple years, and they don't like take 16 years to get there. Anyway, I thank all of those uh, still listening and uh, putting up with my rather random release schedule. My guest, as you can tell, is Brian Thompson of uh, Whatever Happened to Pizza and McDonald's fame. It's a kind of wide-ranging conversation about, you know, what he's done in times past, what he's doing now, his big move to New York, and how basically uh, his show sort of uh, not only parodies things like true crime and and investigative journalism, but, but also delves into all kinds of... Conspiracy uh, type things as as parody. I'd also like to announce, in conjunction with hitting the century mark, I've uh, published my, my second skeptical book of lists it's called The Conspiracy Skeptics Book of Lists. Uh, you'll find it on Amazon or head to my page, yrad.com forward slash CS, and you'll find a link there to the uh, Amazon uh, site. Uh, if you're in Canada, UK or points beyond, you can then sort of switch out to your preferred store. Like my skeptics book of lists, this is a book of lists that, that uh, looks into topics that are pretty much focused on conspiracies and what I like to call a hidden world. Uh, the book delves into not just you know major conspiracy theories, but it looks at all the stuff that's just below the surface that makes the world run, but because no one ever really talks about it, it becomes ready fodder for conspiracy types. So I kind of, I surface it and talk about it and how do conspiracy types sort of twist it to their own ends and, you know, what is the reality behind things like, uh, oh, I don't know. Um, all those little consumer symbols you find on the back of electronics, or you know, uh, code words being used on the subway system—that that kind of stuff. Anyways, uh, please enjoy episode 100, and again, thank you, thank you for putting up with my release schedule. <laughs> And welcome back to another episode of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. And if you're keeping count, this is episode 100. No, yeah, sorry, just putting in some little uh, little music there. Episode 100, yes. Um, and I have a very, very special guest. I mean, you've probably already seen the show description, but very special guest, Brian Thompson
1: hello and congratulations on 100 episodes
0: i know uh it may not be clear to everybody but brian you were actually my first official interviewee guest i i used to do what called solo shows so i did kind of 10 solo shows and i was gonna start to kind of wrap it up and then i'm like But I would get a lot of email from people going, please keep doing the podcast. This is back in, like, 2009 by then. But, um, yeah, and and then I'm like, all right. So I kind of did, like, a little beta edition with um, uh, my my former Soul Survivors podcast host, Jennifer. God, I don't even know what her name is these days. Men like to marry her, so her last name's (laughs) actually changing, yeah. Jennifer Booker... Are you sure she's not in some kind of witness protection program? It could be. Yeah, she moves around a lot too. So sometimes if she's in Korea, sometimes she's in South Africa, and I think she's in uh, UK now or something. Jennifer Jennifer Booker. Jennifer Booker used to be Jennifer Booker Young. I think it's Jennifer Booker Smith now or something. But yeah, yeah. So that was sort of that was uh, the, the beta episode zero. Uh, where we did kind of a Holocaust denial. I knew we're on. I don't even remember. You were on, uh, let me just check here, uh, February 10th, 2009. You came on to talk about the Illuminati. Do you even remember being on my show? I know it's a long time ago. I do remember, now that you're okay. mentioning it.
1: I didn't realize, though, that I was the first official. Yes. I, I thought I thought maybe I was on the little beta episode, since people often call me a little beta.
0: Little beta, yeah. No, no, you are, uh, yeah. So so it all, just all seems appropriate that you are um, the first official guest, and now you are the official guest for episode 100. Uh, to be fair, I was going to have um, uh, my astronomer, Royale, Stuart Robbins, and then, um, and then my other sort of perennial longtime guest, um, Nigel St. Whitehall. But Nigel St. Whitehall kind of got out of the whole skeptical movement podcasting thing, and he's like, I'm done. Don't don't even
1: don't even talk to <laughs> well, me. You know, I don't. I don't necessarily blame him. No. But I am glad. I am glad I could be available for this. It's a yeah. huge honor.
0: Yeah, that's great. So yeah, so so uh, some some I guess some changes I know in your life. So right, so to review, right, so you used to do a podcast called Amateur Scientist way back in the day, right? Yes, many many years
1: ago. I did the Amateur Scientist podcast which was sort of like a comedy podcast about science news and conspiracy stuff, skeptic related stuff and uh yeah, I don't remember when I stopped doing that show, but I stopped doing it a long time ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh you know, I had uh, some some other stints in the skeptical world. I worked for the James Randi Educational Foundation for a bit and uh and now I just
0: uh I do my dumb comedy show. Yeah. The, uh, whatever happened to pizza at McDonald's, but, uh, you're, you're, just scientist podcast you. Did it. You, you had a number of somewhat cranky co-hosts. There was like a Richard guy. <laughs> and, ai I don't know. A...
1: Yeah. I started doing the show with my friend, Richard, uh, back yes. from back home in Louisiana, old, old friend of mine, uh, yeah. my best friend in the world. Uh, we've known each other since like junior high school, I think seventh grade. And, um, and we started doing the show, uh, because I remember back in the old days of podcasting and maybe they still tell you this, you would Google, you know, what are some tips and tricks for podcasting? And one of the things that people would always say is always have more than one voice because people get bored with just one person on a show. So, uh, you hear that, Brian Dunning? <laughs> well, I don't, I mean, I think that's kind of been proven to not be true, okay. or maybe people's tastes have changed over the years. Maybe people, like, they've supposed their ears have gotten used to this newfangled podcasting genre. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I, I took that to heart and I, I roped in my friend to, to help me with the show. And then, um, after him, I co-hosted with uh, another friend of mine, Bob Teague, who was a, a newspaperman. Um, you know, it's actually kind of funny. I, 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 I just moved to New York City, uh, and Bob had moved to New York City many, many years ago. And I hadn't seen him, or he kind of went off the grid. I think one of the reasons he moved to New York was to sort of get away from society, right, right. Um, or at least the society that he knew. And uh, he went off the grid, and I just had the pleasure of meeting up with him the other day. And oh, it was nice. uh, as if no time had passed. Um, right. But yeah, and then Bob, and then I, I after Bob left, I, I got more confidence in, in my ability to do it by myself. And uh, did it by myself for quite a while with the occasional interview right. episode and, and stuff like that.
0: You you had the good fortune. You had the smoking man on at some point, did you not, as an interviewee?
1: Oh yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. So, um William B. Davis I yeah, think yeah. Was his yeah. Name, or was his name. Yeah, the cigarette smoking man from the X-Files. That's right. Yeah. I remember I invited him on because I think he he made it known that he was interested in like the skeptic stuff in some capacity, if I recall correctly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was through that show that I met James Randy also because I just, you know, you have to when you do a show like that yeah. you have to ask James Randy to be a guest. Right. And um and I did and he said yes. And at the time I didn't realize that he said yes to just about everybody because he just liked to sit in front of his computer all day long on Skype and just talk to people all over the world right. and it didn't really matter who it was. And then after that I I I realized something that a lot of other people have told me they experienced as well that once you became a contact in Randy's Skype portfolio right you would just randomly get calls from him if you happened <laughs> to be online and he would just like I don't know if he would always even remember who you were right I know but but I got a couple of like calls random times of day from him could be early morning could be late at night and just you know sort of checking up saying hello and uh i guess it's eventually in one way or another how i ended up working for him years later
0: right right yes yeah you did eventually work for the randy organization and then uh did that is that because you right you were in louisiana and then you kind of moved out to los angeles california um correct yeah uh, thank you for pronouncing it correctly you're welcome well and then uh right so and uh, now you're now you're in new york so um now right you after amateur scientists i mean we you did the uh death panel which kids today wouldn't even know what that references i'm sure death panel (laughs) and um the
1: most dated podcast name ever. i did that with you (laughs) and with
0: uh and uh
1: blake smith the dr atlantis and uh uh jared Giuliano and christian. Uh, christian walters and aaron and uh yeah that was a really really fun show i i, I shudder to think of how it sounds
0: today wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: um <laughs> but I, we had fun doing it and then we did you know ask a canadian, ask a a canadian. And, uh, uh that's a really fun show as well and very similar shows i guess um but yeah, yeah, we did those for a while, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: I I I do miss doing Ask a Canadian. That was that was a, a lot of fun. But uh, I mean, the, the Facebook group's still there that you can uh, you can join and learn all still learn all about Canada. And uh, so I remember, yeah,
1: it's <laughs> very educational. It has yes.
0: an educational mission. Exactly. I Remember our, uh, your your shtick was um, someone had taken the Ask a Canadian at gmail.com email address, and you were like. Don't send them death threats. That would be a bad idea. <laughs> you know, Trying to get them just to surrender it to you know, yeah, legitimately own. <laughs> yeah, Canadian. one of the
1: things, one of the things I probably probably regret saying now is is, is
3: all the death threats. Death threats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the
0: early days, you know, of podcasting. It's like who's listening, right? You know, come on. It was a
1: different time.
0: It was exactly. a different time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so right. So we, are, and then you've moved on. Now you're doing this, uh, uh, kooky little podcast. Well, I say little, but it's uh, whatever happened to pizza at McDonald's? And this is just kind of blown up, hasn't it? Yeah, uh, it kind of blew up immediately,
1: uh, which was a huge surprise to me because, as we've just reviewed, I've been doing a lot of uh, not very popular podcasts for a very long time and because of that i uh i just became very familiar with the whole um rigmarole you have to go through when you're launching a podcast like i know how to set one up i know how to record one i know how to publish a feed and get it on itunes and all that stuff and i was sitting around with my girlfriend and was she was she's a big true crime podcast listener right right and she was telling me about a couple of shows. I I, I I conflate these two shows in my head sometimes, and I think I've said that there were one show, but I actually think it was two shows. There was one show she was listening to um, called Case File. That's a huge true crime show. And it's hosted by an anonymous Australian man who speaks in this deadly serious monotone. And to me, it just sounds like He's reading Wikipedia articles about different murders, and it's just just massively popular. And then the, there's another show that the name escapes me, where apparently it was a complete amateur detective, true crime fan, who just decided to solve a murder case Perfect. and did. Wow! He just decided I'm a, I'm like a I'm like an investigative journalist, and I'm going to solve a murder case, and he really did do it. And something about those two things, like combined in my head, I was just thinking I would combine those two ideas of those two podcasts. I would pretend that I'm an investigative journalist, uh, and I would also speak in a monotone and just try to make it as boring and as stupid as possible and what would be the dumbest mystery I could possibly be trying to solve. And I just always had it in the back of my mind that McDonald's used to serve pizza and they don't anymore for what anybody any reasonable person would would completely understand why they don't it's totally obvious why they would stop doing this uh and my idea was to do a podcast where the joke was that i was only going to be one episode of a true crime podcast and it would have all the trappings of a podcast it would be on itunes and it would have you know a twitter account and I claimed I was on an existing podcast network called the Panoply Network. And I made artwork that had the Panoply Network logo on it. And but the joke was it was going to be one episode and my entire investigation was just calling a McDonald's in the middle of the night and asking why they don't have pizza. Right. And when they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't even remember us ever having pizza. I would just be like, Okay, fair enough. And that would be the end of the the show. Um and I did that. I think from like conception to publication was like less than twenty four hours.
0: Right,
1: <laughs> and, um, and uh, I published it, and then um, I, unbeknownst to me, I have a uh, semi famous friend who listened to it and tweeted about it the very right. next day. I think, and was like, "Oh, this is really funny," and then. I had, like I said, I had set up a Twitter account for it, but I didn't expect anybody to actually listen to it. It was like a joke for three people. And, um, and so because of that, I hadn't turned off notifications for the Twitter account. Oh, okay. So right. I, I remember I was like at the ATM the next day and my phone just started like exploding and all these people started following the Twitter account. Um, so then I just, you know, had to do more and more episodes. But oh, yeah, my, my, uh, I was friends online with um, uh, John Darneal from this band, the Mountain Goats, and he's the one that tweeted about it. And I still credit him to this day with right. being the reason why the show exists, because if he didn't bring all those people to it, I wouldn't have done more episodes. And I, I told him that um, a long time afterward. And he was like, you know, the, the Welcome to Nightvale people said the same thing. Like, I, I, they, they published like one episode of Welcome to Night Vale, and then I tweeted about it or something. And now that's like one of the biggest podcasts on earth. Oh, uh, wow. My show's not nearly that big, but, uh, yeah, he's a real kingmaker, a tastemaker, I
0: guess. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. I, I mean, wh- I mean, kind of the reason I kind of had you on is, I mean, not only is your podcast kind of a parody of, uh, you know, sort of true crime and, and, uh, you know, investigative journalism, stuff like that. In 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 kind of the spirit of serial, you mentioned serial a lot, but um yeah, you also you, you, there's, there's a definitely a conspiracy element you you kind of parody. I mean you you parody a broad range of things, but but I, I always enjoy the uh you know the conspiracy aspect of uh of whatever happened to pizza and McDonald's. Well, well maybe you wanna so sort of, what is the conspiracy?
1: Well, I, the character that I play on the show, it, it has a lot in common with every like conspiracy theorist and that he just k- refuses to take yes for an answer um, with anything. And so there's never any simple explanation for the simplest question. So it's like, you know, the central question of, you know, why did McDonald's stop serving pizza? If you go on the McDonald's website, they tell you why they stopped serving it. Um but I just don't believe that. So if you don't believe reality, you have to come up with alternatives. Right. And part of the fun of the show is, is making increasingly more elaborate explanations or theories that I can test or um, people that I can call. A lot of the show is me calling people who are not in on the joke necessarily. It's not like a prank show, right. but it's more like I'm sort of creating a weird alternate reality for real people to exist in uh uh, as they you know are forced to deal with me um but i think that there's just like i don't know i'm I'm just super into um conspiracy stuff cryptid stuff i have a recurring segment on the show called crest to crest am where whenever my theories about mcdonald's pizza sort of delve into the realm of the paranormal the supernatural which is quite often um, I basically do a parody of Coast to Coast AM. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I think, I, I hope there are a lot of very young people who listen to the show for right. reasons that are beyond my understanding, and it, I'm just utterly delighted when I can like. I did like a whole storyline on my show where I often say that Art Bell is one of my mentors, right? <laughs> and I found that in real life, Art Bell's gravestone yes, has yes. a has a typo on it. And I did like a whole storyline where I was trying to figure out how I could possibly get the typo on Art Bell's gravestone corrected. And I was told by the cemetery that the only way I could do that is if I were a family member. So I decided that I was going to try to seduce and marry Art Bell's widow. Um and I the thing that really delights me sometimes about the show is that I know for a fact 75% of my audience does not know who Art Bell is. Oh wow. Okay. Um but I guess they like the show enough that they start to get into Art Bell. And right. so then I start, you know, after I did those shows, I started getting these emails from people that are like finding these clips from Art Bell, like art talking about Mel's hole and right. art parts and uh and sending that kind of stuff to me, and, you know, I've done episodes trying to link things like the chupacabra to uh, uh, pizza, at McDonald's. The Mothman was a big part of the lore for a while. Ancient aliens have become have been a big thing. I tried to go to the Louvre in Paris to see if there were some Egyptian artifacts there that mentioned pizza being handed down from extraterrestrials. So I don't know. I'm just
0: I'm. I'm obsessed with that sort of stuff, so it bleeds into right the show. But I mean, that's a cool thing because you you have your you kind of have your your main plot line. You know, you, you investigative journalist trying to figure out why McDonald's stops serving pizza, but you have all these interesting side quests. You you've know, the. the, the, the um, Willow. <laughs> Willow is probably your your major side quest. What what's what's up with Willow? Um I went to
2: my
1: local library and this is okay so most of the time on the show I come up with these story ideas based on things that really did happen to me and um I really did go to my library looking for the movie Willow on DVD because There's like, I remember there being a Warwick Davis commentary track on the DVD that I wanted to listen to, but I didn't want to buy the DVD. It was like the DVD had gone out of print or something. So online it was, you know, it was wildly expensive. And I went to my library and the DVD was listed as being checked in, but it wasn't on the shelf. And they didn't know what had happened to it. You know, whatever. Somebody lost it or you know misplaced i don't know what it was um so then on my show i just i i made up some story about how willow was my favorite movie and i was becoming increasingly frustrated with the dead ends i was running to in my investigation into mcdonald's pizza so to unwind i went to my local library to, to check out willow on dvd just to sort of relax and and lose myself in the fantasy world of this magnificent magical film and um and i knew that that because i had you know really looked for the movie that i I knew they didn't actually have it even though it was listed as checked in so i called the librarians and asked if i could review their security tapes if i could file a police (laughs) report um and that has turned into a very long-running joke where um you know, I couldn't find the DVD. I'm still looking for the DVD. I've taken it upon myself to write, and uh, I'm claiming to have written and and be producing a sequel to Willow. Um, which they eventually did make a television show sequel to Willow, but that I, I, to my character that doesn't count because, <laughs> well, no, actually, yeah, it lasted like three months and then they deleted it from the service. <laughs> but, um but according to my character that's not canon it's not canonical because willow was originally a movie so no sequel is a true sequel unless it's also a movie um so i mean it sort of feeds it's it's the same sort of idea it's like not not taking yes for an answer and just continuing along my path that i've already predetermined is the path that is correct which in this case is that i own the i have the rights to make a sequel to willow and i am doing it
0: you you almost kind of pitched your story to ron howard didn't you uh yes yeah, yeah i went to um
1: there was a there was a screening of willow at this repertory theater in la and ron howard was there doing A Q&A afterward and. I stood up during the Q&A and asked if he would read my treatment for the sequel to Willow Willow 2 and um subsequently the guy who was moderating the Q&A yelled at me on Twitter and was like this is like this is like no way for this is like the worst example for screen aspiring screenwriters like you don't just stand up at a Q&A and ask a director <laughs> to read your treatment and then he blocked me on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I had a close encounter with Ron Howard. And actually, this is some inside information. I I had an opportunity when they were putting together the writer's room for the Willow sequel show to submit to that show as a writer. And I just sent them a, uh, I sent them a copy of my treatment for Willow. <laughs> to and didn't didn't hear
0: anything back. Okay. Um, Willow Two through the portal of time, I think, is the name of your your sequel.
1: Yeah, it's it's through the portal of time. It's a um, a reference to the sequel to the Beastmaster, Beastmaster <laughs> Two through the portal of time, because Willow Two is a team up with Willow and the Beastmaster <laughs> to go through the portal of time to 1991, AKA the heyday of McDonald's Pizza. <laughs> And they enjoy McDonald's pizza while the evil queen Baph Morda from the original Willow also travels to the Portal of Time and tries to destroy the Earth.
0: <laughs> yeah, You're, um, I mean, in time, side side quests, but you've actually been on some real quests, right? Because you went to, uh, it was it Adak? Adak? Adak, Alaska? Adak. Adak, Alaska. Alaska.
1: Yeah, there's, um, there's an abandoned, so there's this military base on yep. adac it's the it is the furthest west municipality in the united states it's on the very tip of the aleutian islands so it's very close to russia and during world war ii it was set up as sort of like a nuclear la- or a missile launch site um to protect against a potential japanese invasion from like the arctic coast and then after World War II, it was sort of transitioned into a Cold War nuclear site to protect against the Russians, because it's close to the Russians as well. And um, after the fall of the Iron Curtain, it basically had no reason to exist anymore and was totally abandoned almost overnight. And now you go on this island, and it's it's very remote. There's The plane goes in and out like twice a week. So if you fly there, you have to wait like five days to get on the plane back. You know, you're trapped. Um, And there's maybe like a hundred people who live there permanently. Everybody there has multiple jobs. I remember when I flew in, there was somebody on the plane who was a passenger. Mm -hmm. And while the plane was sort of taxiing to the gate of their little airport, this person got off the plane Put on an orange vest and started directing the plane towards the gate because they worked at the airport. And then later that night, I was in like the one little local bar or restaurant, and the same person was walking around trying to sell her handmade jewelry. So everybody has to have multiple okay. hustles there, and everybody lives in like the abandoned military housing. But when, at its peak, it was like it was a basically a city. I mean, there were thousands of of service people stationed there and they had everything you could imagine for a city they had gymnasiums and a school and a city hall and restaurants and stuff and one of the restaurants they had was a you know full-sized mcdonald's and after the entire island was basically abandoned that mcdonald's was sort of trapped in time and i i saw these youtube videos of these people who had gone there and sort of like explored around the area and stuff and and then i realized from those that this was abandoned kind of around the same time <laughs> of mcdonald's pizza so i set up a crowdfunding campaign to pay my outrageous travel expense it's very expensive to get there yeah But it's like nobody goes yeah. um so you have to fly to anchorage alaska and then from anchorage you have to fly to adac and the flight to and from Anchorage to Adak is like three times as much as the flight to Anchorage. It was like, it's, it's really crazy. Um, and there's one guy there who owns a bunch of the abandoned military housing and mm-hmm. he rents them out as Airbnbs, mostly to caribou hunters. Because the U.S. military seeded the island with caribou as an emergency food source in case they were cut off from their supplies. Okay, So now it's. It's like big caribou hunting territory because it's this very small island. They're very easy to find and shoot. And um, that's pretty much all anybody does there. There was like a fish processing plant that employed some people. But I think that's gone. Uh, it may be out of business now. I'm not sure. but um, But yeah, I went there to sort of wander around this abandoned McDonald's and uh sure enough it was abandoned around the time of mcdonald's pizza but there was no pizza on the menu although there were a couple this is another thing that keeps happening in my show i fully i did not expect this to have anything to do with pizza but then i get there and there are these little spots on the menu that are like missing and so like maybe there was pizza on the menu, maybe there wasn't. I keep I keep running into these things that I think are sure surely going to be complete dead ends, but then something kind of weird does happen. Right. Like I'll call McDonald's and ask about pizza and 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 they'll be like weirdly cagey about it for no <laughs> and I think most of it is just like they don't really know what my deal is and they're just kind of you know suspicious of why I'm calling. But stuff like that happens a lot. You can you can really string out a conspiracy theory pretty easily based on very few little breadcrumbs, and uh, that's what I've been doing for over three hundred episodes now.
0: But you you did manage to track down an original McDonald's pizza oven in ADAC, correct? Yes. So yeah, that's not like a total accident.
1: I. Um, I was asking around town about pizza, and, you know, I, I, I it was very stupid. Like, I was mm-hmm. pretending to, like, like, scour the ground outside the McDonald's for frozen pizza crumbs because, <laughs> it, you know, they would have been trapped in time in the Arctic. And I did not expect to actually get anywhere. But then I was talking to the guy who was hosting me there, who was right. on the Airbnb I was staying in. And he was like, oh, yeah, there's this guy who um, he's kind of like a local entrepreneur. And he bought the um, the McDonald's. And I'm pretty sure that he he found some pizza ovens in there or something like that. Maybe you could talk to him.
0: Right.
1: And so I was like, surely this can't be true. And I, I tried to find the guy he was talking about. But he happened to be off the island while I was there. But I got his phone number. And as soon as I got back, I called him and he was like, yeah, when I bought that McDonald's, there were pizza ovens inside of it. And I thought I took them out because I also owned this bowling alley Mm -hmm. and I thought maybe I could use them in the bowling alley to make pizzas and sell pizzas there. Um, But, you know, they weren't working like they were broken or whatever. And I called the company to ask about getting some repair parts. And they said, you know, it's really not worth it these things aren't made anymore. The cost of repairing them would be more than the cost of buying a new pizza oven. So, so he was like, well, I just, I just threw them in the dump and I I can, I can get pictures for you if you want. And I was like, definitely. So he went out and <laughs> took pictures and sure enough, lying in like the scrap heap oh. on ADAC is fully intact McDonald's pizza ovens that was there when I was there. And now I can't, I can't go back because it's like outrageously expensive, <laughs> so but then that led to another th- these like these 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 little threads keep leading to other things, so because of that, I called the McDonald's Museum right. in San Bernardino, California, which is not affiliated officially with McDonald's, but it's this big museum that's on the site of the original McDonald's location. Right. I called them just as a joke, like you know, pretend. I know this is sort of like a two-bit museum in the middle of nowhere, uh, and but I was pretending that that you know they had some kind of Smithsonian level endowment to <laughs> to capture McDonald's artifacts, and so I called them and like I, I said, you know. I, i i i know of a massive mcdonald's pizza oven that you might be interested in it's in alaska would your billionaire uh curator be interested in commissioning a barge to to travel (laughs) up to adak and retrieve the oven and bring it back and i all i ask is that you let me dust it for fingerprints and then i'll let the museum have it um and instead of just hanging up on me, the guy I talked to at the museum was just like, you know what? That's a really great idea. I I I we would be really interested in that. I am gonna see if he'll do that. I don't know if we can afford to do it, but I'm gonna see if we can. And he earnestly like went to the owner of the museum and tried right. to get him to pay wow. Wow. to do this. And it turned out that he's like a real life version of my fake character on the show. He's been obsessed with McDonald's pizza. And and I have like over the course of doing the show, I've accumulated all of these things—these McDonald's pizza things. I got a McDonald's pizza box and these McDonald's pizza shoelaces that were given out as a promotion. Right. These pins, all kinds of stuff that I just had lying around and have absolutely no use for. And so I told him, I was like, hey, you know, if I give you all this stuff, can you would you put it on display in the museum? And he was like, absolutely. So I brought all that stuff down there and filmed myself giving it to him and put out like a YouTube video of him giving me a tour of the museum. And now on permanent display in San Bernardino, there's a little section of their museum that's all of the McDonald's pizza stuff I donated with a picture of me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Brian Thompson collection.
1: <laughs> it is. There's a picture of me like handing it over to them. Um and um, I don't
0: know. I guess it'll be there forever. I'm not sure. That's great. Yeah, I, I I felt like it was a bit of a transition at that point when you discovered the the pizza oven that that what was kind of just a bit of a joke podcast. You 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 kind of realize that you you really are uncovering history. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not like you know super important history, but this is. This is history that nobody, you know, so much of the stuff is never preserved. There's like corporate history and things like that. And you are, do you feel that way that, you know, you, 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 it's, it's no longer just kind of a bit of a jokey podcast, but you're actually are, you know, contributing to history and preserving something, discovering something.
1: Well, I sometimes feel like, uh, you know, that Vonnegut book, Mother Night. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about this guy who, uh, Who was uh, a spy? He was like undercover with the Nazis as a Nazi propagandist during World War II. And then in the course of doing that, he actually had to create Nazi propaganda. So the book sort of philosophically is about what's the difference if you're pretending to do something? What's the difference between pretending and doing it for real? And I often feel like, not that I'm a Nazi propagandist, (laughs) but I feel like I've, I've, sometimes I feel like I really am doing real like journalism. Yeah, because I do follow these real threads and very, very little of the show is like totally made up. I mean, maybe three of the people I've talked to on the show have ever been kind of like in on the joke or um, or playing along with any sort of like scripted fictional storyline. Ninety eight percent of the show is 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 really following real things to an absurd degree i think is is kind of how i i feel about it i think i just i ask dumber questions and and more questions about simple things but the simple things at this at the core of the show are real so like when i found out that there was this pizza oven in in ADAC, um the guy that i spoke with he like i said he, he called the manufacturer to see if you know he could get it repaired but because he did that he knew that who the manufacturer was. So I got in touch with the manufacturers today and I got a hold of the operating manual, the real life operating manual for it. And I talked to them and got shuttled around to different, they've been acquired and acquired over and over again. And now there's some other company, but I eventually ended up talking with someone in like, I think Cleveland or Cincinnati Mm -hmm. or something. Who was like, Oh yeah, I worked as a—I was like the repair man for the the pizza ovens back then. I was like the only guy in the region to do it. And he told me that there was a some McDonald's corporate-owned restaurant in you know Cleveland or Cincinnati. I go to Cincinnati. Um, that still has one of those ovens, like you know, tucked away in a dark corner somewhere. So, wow. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I keep I keep uncovering stuff like this. And I don't have the resources to to pursue everything I would like to pursue. I mean, like there's um a, there's a, a barge off the coast off the coast of Vancouver somewhere that was a floating McDonald's that was created yes. for one of the world's fairs. Expo or
0: something. or something, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And now it's just been sitting floating abandoned forever. It's been moved around, but it's still there. I would love to go there and and, and dig around that thing um but yeah it's 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 real history actually i would like to spend more time in canada in general because pizza apparently mcdonald's pizza
0: lasted longer there than other places i w- i was a guest on your show would talk about the uh yeah the un- unnatural long life of uh mcdonald's pizza in canada and yeah. my, my memories of
1: yeah yeah i mean so many canadians have such an emotional connection to it and a lot of the the memorabilia that i receive is actually from mcdonald's canada you can oh, wow. see those, those little, okay. little maple leaf and the golden arches
0: i was gonna say do you, do you know do you know the do you know the uh the interesting conspiracy theory tied to adak alaska the um probably no right A bit besides mcdonald's pizza uh it was in the early 60s uh, adak alaska you know was an air base and um and there were like two planes that left at roughly the same time they're both um lockheed super constellations one had a secret cargo and one did not and both had accidents on route so people there's a whole conspiracy about you know they needed to take someone you know nefarious forces needed to take out the one aircraft with the secret military cargo but not knowing you know because they're identical airplanes which one was which they they you know they blew both of them up or something it's uh I did
1: not know that. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I I know that there was a um suspiciously shortly after my trip there, there was a TV show that was sort of I think oh, yeah. a ripoff of um The Curse of Oak Island right. TV show. But it was like on ADAC, like they were looking for, I don't know, ancient treasure or something. Whatever. Oh, okay. Um but yeah, I didn't watch a single Minute of that show, <laughs> but but I wonder if they mentioned that conspiracy. Now now I need to go do a storyline about that on on my show about this AI conspiracy. I had no idea. I'll, s- I'll actually- send you.
0: I'll send you my research.
1: Please, please do. I was thinking. I, I now that I'm in New York City, I'm closer than ever to um, Montauk, Long oh, Island.
0: Yes, okay, right.
1: So now I, I'm trying to figure out a way to to get the 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 immense and very detailed lore of the Montauk experiment and the Philadelphia experiment into the show and mm-hmm. somehow go out to Montauk and see if I can find the I believe the Montauk experiment story involves a an interdimensionally manifested giant ape monster that destroyed the military base.
0: Stranger, Stranger Things is wildly based on the uh, the the legend of Montauk. It, Stranger Things, its working title was Montauk, and then. Oh uh, really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Maybe they, I they, can't do that. Then oh. I look like I'm ripping off Stranger Things. <clears throat> well, you, you know, <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, maybe I should watch it. I've never. I saw the first season of Stranger Things and and liked it, and I never watched any more of it. This is what I do with every TV show. I watch yeah. I watch like the first season or maybe like two episodes and I don't even dislike it. I, I like it. I genuinely like it. And then I just like, eh, I'd rather read a book.
0: I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, you, you watch the first season. It's great. And then it's like, okay, well, season two is coming on in like three years. And then by the time season two comes on, you're like, I've completely forgotten about everybody and everything <laughs> and the whole plot. And who is this person and you know it's just it's really frustrating so to me it's almost like don't watch anything until it's you know it's it the whole series runs its course and you got to nowadays of course you got to jump on it now before you know apple or netflix pulls it off the you know off right. the service yeah yeah so sometimes it's just wait till it's done and then watch the whole damn thing all at once, all five seasons, kinds of things. It's, yeah. It's
1: well, do they get into the backstory, like the Philadelphia experiment backstory to not, the whole Montauk not,
0: thing? Not, not, not in Stranger Things, but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, they don't really even talk too much about, and it's no, they don't even mention Montauk. But, but it's definitely, it's definitely the, the, so the, the some guy just wrote up some, you know, bullcrap story about it, basically, <laughs> that they, they then just, you know cannibalized. I don't know if they even gave him any writer's credit. Well,
1: it, Going back to Art Bell, that's, that was one of my favorite... The Philadelphia Experiment is one of my favorite like conspiracy lore, paranormal kind of things because many, many years ago on the Art Bell show, this guy named Al Bielek called in and he claimed to have been involved in the Philadelphia Experiment and was giving, you know, his firsthand story. And his age didn't really correlate to him having been involved in this, so his explanation was that uh, at some point the government realized that he knew too much about what was going on, and they took his soul out of his body and implanted his soul into a younger body, uh but they didn't count on his memories eventually bubbling to the surface so he's actually a different physical person than he was at the time but he has the same memories uh but what was fascinating about this episode is that it went on for a very long time i mean this was like almost a full art bell show so we're talking three four hours nonstop of him telling the story and it was really eye-opening to me because it was completely convincing. I mean, if you listen to anybody talk at that length and in that much detail about anything. Like you your mind, I think most people's minds are like they can't possibly be making this all up. Like this has to be based on something. And and but then you know you you take a step back and you look at what all he's saying and it clearly he's making this
2: this all up like right. it's like
1: none of this could possibly be true but it was like so in intensely detailed down to talking about you know the 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 frequencies of rf radiation that were being used and the devices that they were using to try to make a ship invisible uh for this experiment right. and stuff and you know art bell was you know, nodding along to the whole thing. And every now and then he would pipe in and be like, you know, I don't know a lot about what you're talking about, but I do know radio. And, and what you're saying does actually make technical sense. Like you, you do know what you're talking about as far as like transistors and frequencies or whatever Hertz, I don't know. I do have a ham radio license, but, but I couldn't tell you what any of this is. Um, (laughs) but, Yeah. And it was like, it was, and it's a fascinating story. It's truly wild and gets weirder and weirder and weirder the longer it goes on. So, yeah, I was thinking about maybe incorporating that. But if I can just go back to ADAC, I would love to do that too. I would recommend anybody go to ADAC. It's, it's true. It's, I've never been anywhere like it. And you can say that about a lot of places, but it is a very weird, very um, interesting and, and, a unique experience to go there where you're just at the it feels like you're at the edge of the world you're in the arctic but it's right. in this kind right. of weird pressure zone where it never gets too cold or too okay. warm um and it's just like the quietest place you can imagine and it's just an abandoned city like you wander around i i just wandered. there's like a right. the, the main military base is up on a hill kind of away from where the people that live there now live. Um and my guide there, my host there was just like, "You know, a lot of people, I'll just drive them up there. I'll drop you off and then we'll just I'll just come back in a couple of hours and you can just wander around here all day and I guarantee you you'll have a good time." And I was <laughs> a little bit skeptical of this, but he was not lying. Like you you're there's nobody there. It's not like you you start to quickly realize that when you kind of wander around dark, secluded areas of a normal city, you're kind of always on the lookout for trouble. Right. But it's there's no trouble because there's nobody there. There's not even any animals to be scared of. It's not like you're gonna uncover some weird, like, you know, poisonous spiders or snakes or whatever, you know. It's totally safe because there's nothing, there's just nothing there and these there are these barracks that are basically apartment buildings with hundreds of apartments that like I said were abandoned almost overnight so there's like many of them still have like clothes hanging in the closets wow. they're all open the mattresses are still on the beds there's toilet paper rolls like still in the bathrooms like the library is still there the swimming pool area is still there and it's all connected via these like underground tunnels so they don't have to go out in the elements if there's ever like a blizzard or something and it's just incredible it's like it's one of the most amazing places i've ever been and it's expensive to go there and all the food and everything is very expensive there because it all has to get flown in so you know like a cheeseburger at the local restaurant is like 25 bucks but um but you know if you ever have a week to kill I can't. Right. I can't think of a better way
0: to kill it. Don't did you say that the locals don't they call the abandoned housing, home, home hardware or Home Depot or something like
1: that? Oh right, he said. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like, there's way more abandoned housing than there are people living there, and most of the people that live there live in, you know, the the same abandoned houses. There are like two or three different styles of house right, right. that is repeated over and over and over again in different neighborhoods. And yeah, we were driving around and my guide pointed to this one area where nobody lives. And he said, that's that's our Home Depot. If we ever need anything, if your door breaks or your window <laughs> breaks or something, you just go to this other house <laughs> and just rip one out. And that's exactly
0: what you need. It fits your place perfectly. I mean, it's, it sounds very zombie apocalypse, doesn't it? Like, or Omega Man or something, you know, like, like just whatever you need, just go walk down the street and oh go into to an abandoned house and you know maybe there's a there's a you know ocean pacific t-shirt or something <laughs> that that's,
1: that's the, exactly what it is and, and it was also the, everybody there kind of has this idea that they're just like any minute now the world is going to discover how great this is and they're they're going to be there and they're in on the ground floor so like there are a couple of sort of like business minded entrepreneurs who have gone around and bought up as many of the buildings as possible, thinking that eventually when somebody builds a resort here or the the, the most common belief is that eventually we're going to escalate tensions with Russia to the point where they reopen the base to oh, full okay. capacity. And, well, you know, back to the old days,
0: you know, we're, we're,
1: we're, we're arcing in that direction, I suppose. Yeah, but the government thankfully um I think they cuz they basically forced the Aleut uh Native American tribe right. off of the island when they built the base in the first place. Right. So when when they left, they gave everything back to the tribe. Okay. So um you know, when you go there, you have to like buy a permit to even like walk around outside of the town and the permits are sold by the tribe and stuff like that. So right. I think if they ever wanted to develop it or do anything with it, which I can't imagine why anybody ever would, if they did there'd be a lot of red tape when it comes to to that kind of stuff too so I just I don't see it happening, but a lot of the people there are holding out hope that one day the magic of the island will lure yeah. tourists.
0: Now, I have to ask. Um, you know, my, my website, my conspiracy skeptic website, if you go to the root just straight out yrad.com dot com, it's my um uh conversations with a Nigerian bank scammer. And <laughs> I, I wrote I wrote as if I was like, I was in my thirties and I wrote as if I was like this 57 year old divorced man who, you know, had just sold his bowling alley and just basically spends all his day in his fishing boat. And he's, he's looking for some new venture. And, um, these Nigerian bank scammers, you know, now seem to want to provide him this adventure. And, uh, he was this very broken, lonely man. And, Part of my part of this character was me projecting you know but before but by the grace of God go I you know like like yeah. I don't want to be that man at fifty seven you know in my fifties, and it was it was a bit of like working out anxieties of my future and who I will be you know twenty five years hence, and do you how much of your character then is you know like there can be a fork in my life and I could be this this lonely guy, you know?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, there's a lot of... I, I always think about... Um, I'm not sure who came up with this, but uh, I remember many years ago seeing an interview with Stephen Colbert where he was talking about his character from the Colbert Report. Right. And how... Um, It's a character that uh, I think this is an old Dell Close like improv line, but he said it's a character that you wear as lightly as a hat. Right. So um, there's a lot of yourself in there, and I think that that adds to the like authenticity of the character. It also adds to like just the ability to play such a character for long term. You know, Um, I don't think I. I could do as many different things with that character as I do if it wasn't, you know, largely based on myself, but Mm -hmm. it's like, well, one of the happy accidents of doing the show is that uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in what the uh, professional wrestling fans call Kayfabe, um, which is uh, just insisting on staying in character no matter what and not betraying the uh, integrity of the fiction that you've created um, to an absurd degree and because of that i just thought it would be funnier if my entire online presence was just this character and nothing from like my real life and i deleted my personal twitter account and just did the twitter account for my show and there was this weird it was like a happy accident because then i I just found myself so much happier with life where I didn't feel like going online and like consuming uh just vile uh content from social media i I didn't feel a need to um to have like an opinion a real opinion about anything or express an opinion or get into a fight with anybody everything's filtered through this character who's like very polite, kind of mm-hmm. passive aggressive, I think becoming more passive aggressive as it goes along, but um <laughs> like clearly I think has a very high opinion of himself, but it's like
0: you can't dude, really uh, insult him like he's he's immune to being mocked, you know, yeah, I like he will try to
1: i like the, the few times where somebody's actually been mean to me on the show. Are really funny because like the character does not know how to handle it and gets like is like utterly shocked that anybody would really be upset. Actually, the the one person who was the most hostile to me was the guy who runs that UFO reporting hotline. Um, <laughs> he, he was a bit flustered though. <laughs> I don't I don't remember his name, but if you just Google like UFO reporting hotline, there's this guy who runs this. This answering machine, and has for years where you can just call this number and report your UFO sightings, and so I um in character was like, you know it's valuable data when somebody's seen a UFO and they call in to report it, but it seems like he would also want to know if somebody's never seen a UFO, so I called in to just give him the valuable my just you know my data point that I've never seen a UFO. <laughs> and and he answered the call like it's not i just thought it would go to a voicemail right, right but he's like monitoring this thing and he answers the call and immediately assumes even before i mean he was correct and it wasn't a real call so right, I, right. I i can't put too much blame on him but he got really hostile really quickly i think before any reasonable person could have considered that this was it could have reasonably guessed that this was not a real call he was like already on the defensive and you know he accused me of being a punk kid so that he literally used the phrase punk kids punk kids are calling this number all day long every day and and then he called me back like I hung up with him and then like later that afternoon he called me back to yell at me some more and unfortunately <laughs> I was like away from my equipment so I couldn't record it but <laughs> like this guy is a nut like why are you still answering this number this this number has been up for decades and he just like why put yourself through this misery every day answering this number really insane but yeah that was one of the few times most of the time though i think people either feel sorry for me they think i'm really stupid or they think i'm like um there's something wrong with me and they really are genuinely trying their best to help me and with whatever stupid thing i'm asking them to do which um it works in the favor of the show i guess but um but yeah getting back to your question like my personal obsessions are are littered throughout the show like i said so it's like willow and like Art Bell and all manner of I, stuff. I just, I, my, that's my favorite thing about doing the show is like people, it's sort of like, um, I, I grew up watching Mystery Science Theater and on Mystery Science Theater, they never went out of their way to explain a very obscure reference. Right. Um, Thing. You know, there would be like an episode where there would be a string of jokes about Merlin Olson or something, and like I growing, I didn't know who Merlin Olson was, but then I would like look it up. You know, yeah. I knew it was funny, and I would like do the work to sort of like catch up to these people who were clearly funny, um, and every now and then I like to do that with my show and and bring people down these extremely specific avenues that. Are things like also I know I know you are into um, uh, buying and reselling like vintage sci-fi and yeah, fantasy right, yeah. paperbacks, Yeah. and I'm very much into those kind of things too. And so, um, you know, I think I, I, there was something I I got somebody I met just mentioned in passing. Um, I think some very obscure, either very late seventies or very early eighties. Fantasy novel called "Nift the Lean" by Michael Shay, and I don't—I didn't even remember mentioning it. And then, like, I got an email, you know, months later from somebody who was like, "Oh, I tracked this down. It was really good." um <laughs> Like, and that's just something I, yeah, I really do read that stuff. So there's a lot of there's a lot of reality in that character. Now,
0: how how much do you feel you contributed to basically the mcdonald's corporate just really canning the last restaurant in america to sell mcdonald's pizza because you pomeroy ohio right
1: yeah pomeroy ohio had uh it was the last uh restaurant to sell what i believe was like the original version of mcdonald's pizza Mm -hmm. i think that's been thrown into question over the years but but today you can still there's like this giant roadside attraction mcdonald's in florida that has like a pasta bar and a salad bar and they have like a brick oven pizza i don't consider that canonical right that's not real but as far as like the original version of mcdonald's pizza this mcdonald's in palmry ohio and then there was another location across the river in West Virginia that was owned by the same franchise owner that also sold it. Mm-hmm. These were the last two to sell it in its original form. And in the early days of the show, I, it was they were still selling it. And I, mm-hmm. I crowdfunded a trip to Ohio to try the pizza. And yeah, within a year, McDonald's corporate finally made them stop selling it. And when I talked to them when I was there, they said that they had to fight every single year with McDonald's to 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 allow them to keep selling it. Um, and it was purely by the sheer force of will of the franchise owner to keep selling it. Um, I don't know where they were sourcing the ingredients or anything like that, but, um, yeah, very suspiciously after my visit, McDonald's finally put a stop to it. And I think the official explanation was that they were trying to standardize They were basically putting these like touchscreen kiosks Mm -hmm. in their dining rooms. So instead of going to the cash register and waiting in line, you could go to the little kiosk and punch in what you want. And then you get a number and then you just sort of wait until your number is called. And their system for doing this didn't allow for them to customize it to the point where they could put pizza on the menu. But I've since learned, once again, like, yeah, that, that seems perfectly reasonable and if that were 100% true no one would question it but then when i dig into these things it turns out that's not true at all there are like regional things that they sell at different mcdonalds all over the country that use these kiosks and they just put it into the kiosk and it's just right. an option so like that's not true that that's, that's was necessary to get rid of pizza so i don't know why i don't know why they're lying about this but someone's
0: not being truthful about it I don't know. Maybe there really is a conspiracy behind it all. Yeah, my my McDonald's kiosk I go to when i go to mcdonald's in the morning if i use the kiosk it i I noticed i had a real run it was always spitting out my number was 1066 so i'm like hmm battle of hastings what's um why you know why why does uh you know why does uh why why does mcdonald's keep trying to communicate to me you know the uh you know uh, uh, you know william the conqueror or something like that and then i get like you know 1069 or 1096. And I'm like, hmm, he flip that nine around. And, and yeah, it's it's like, I'm sane, so I don't really think the machine is trying to convince me I am William the Conqueror. But you can see how, right, you know, like, people who are not yeah. quite attached to reality begin to notice these bizarre little, I got 1066 twice in a row. What is this? Should I maybe, you know, bring a sword in next time and conquer this McDonald's? And, you know? <laughs> Can happen eventually
1: <laughs> oh yeah i mean well next time that happens you should just uh approach a random person there and, and ask them what their opinion of it is and i'm sure you'll have a fascinating
0: conversation on my mcdonald's app i notice you can change your first name like it, it always displays your first name when you order like on the cash register you know good morning you know carl so now i like change it up to i'll be like you know like um i i put in beyonce once and <laughs> and then you know now i'm like mr fantastic and i i different <laughs> names out of dune and stuff like that and of course you know the, the poor morning people are just like just what the it's, it's morning you know i I I'm in here actually 2 hours before you're even in here. Like why are you making my life difficult? Like You know, you know what? You're not making their life difficult. Yeah, I worked
1: this is another, this is something that bothers me. Sometimes sometimes people, especially the first like several episodes of my show, right. I called a lot of McDonald's yeah. locations and talked to the people working there. And like I said, it's not a prank show. My, my, my goal is never, I never like call somebody to make fun of them. I know, but I'm always the dumbest person on the line. Like, I just don't like that kind of stuff. And I I try not to do it and I'm not, I'm, I'm not antagonizing these people in any way, but I am asking them very stupid questions yes, yes. and, um, and every now and then I'll get a response from somebody that just has listened to the first few episodes. And it's like, I don't really like this whole thing about like, making fun of these like minimum wage workers or making their lives difficult and stuff like this and i just like i just can't help thinking like i i worked jobs like this before right. i've i worked retail jobs before if somebody just called me and asked weird questions that doesn't like ruin my day if anything no. that's like a bright spot in the day that like some freak called and asked me this insane question that I you know oftentimes they laugh about it or whatever it's just like I just don't buy that I feel like if you I feel like there are ways to make their lives more difficult and those are the ways that I think are obvious just right. like being mean and like right. yelling at them and like you know and they get enough of that but I think just being weird is not right. A- is not hurting anybody.
0: I mean, it's a good story. They, you know, at the dinner table, I got this call today. <laughs> I'd like to think at least once. Didn't you get at least once someone who knew who you were? Um. Oh yeah, yeah. There was uh, actually it was somebody,
1: somebody at one of the big pharma companies. Okay. I, I call. I don't remember why I was calling, but I was calling about, um like a covid vaccine or okay. something and yeah the person there they didn't let on that they knew who i was at first right but i could sort of tell there was like a little something in their voice was right more uh facilitating than normal and yeah then they emailed me or messaged me or something afterwards and we're like hey i couldn't say this on the call because we're recorded but i i i i totally listened to your show and Know who you are. Thankfully, that doesn't happen
0: very often, though. All right, All right. Good. My guess. My final. My final question is: Um, you. whatever happened to your arch nemesis? I forget what his name was. Um, uh, oh, Monroe Boswell. Monroe Boswell, who, who convinced you you were actually part of the panoply network.
1: Yeah, he's sort of the Moriarty uh, of my uh, of my show. I just needed. I I every I very often on the show fall for very obvious scams and um and I, I needed some sort of sinister force behind that and there's this gentleman named Monroe Boswell who as the, the lore sometimes escapes me uh, but I, I think that the backstory for Monroe Boswell is that we both volunteered at a small animal hospice and um I ratted him out for flushing dead hamsters down the toilet instead of burying them in the cemetery out back. And um, and ever since then, he's, he's had it out for me. So he tries to make unique. me look foolish and ensnares me in these traps. And like I said, and originally when I started the show, I said I was on the Panoply Network and then I got a cease and desist letter, a real cease and desist letter from the Panoply Network saying you can't say this and you can't use our logo and everything. And, and so I came up with this story about how I was tricked and then I got an email from someone named Mark Panoply who invited me to the Panoply network. And I, I know now that it was my old nemesis, Monroe Boswell, uh, just trying to humiliate me again. Um, I, yeah, I think that's the backstory. And I think the current status of Monroe Boswell is that he is, he was, he was on the run from Interpol. Um, <laughs> And then he, he went off the grid. Um, I think he's presumed dead, but is clearly not deceased. Um, but I'm not sure now exactly where he is. He probably needs to make a return sometime soon.
0: I, I felt like it was left he had gone to Canada or something like that. I'm,
1: I think, yeah, I think he escaped into the wilderness. I think it was a D.B. Cooper kind of situation. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> can we expect a, the, a return of Manuel, M- Monroe Boswell? Oh, for sure. Like Whenever I
1: run out of ideas, I always <laughs> just go back to the well of uh, something I've done before over and over and over again. That's another thing that's good about the show is that it's uh, like you said, there are a lot of side quests Yes. that I can always just go back. If, one, uh, if something just sort of peters out or I get bored with some sort of side quests, I just can always go back to just calling McDonald's and asking them about
0: pizza. There's
1: always that core of the show, because that is a
0: mystery will that will never be solved. All right. Okay. And uh so yeah, so uh so New York, you are now living in New York. How, how 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 you used to live in LA? Now you're in New York. Sorry, have you ever in your life lived someplace where it's like, no shit, this is winter? Because you no. uh Louisiana, right? I'm from Louisiana
1: originally, oh. and it, Louisiana does get extremely cold. Okay, because it's like the humidity makes the heat worse, and it also makes the cold worse. Okay, but it's like it's not like a, you know, there's no snow. It's just like all the leaves fall off the trees, and it just gets extremely cold for Louisiana. Uh, but I've never been in a place where there's like snow and ice, and where you actually have to wear like a giant coat when you go outside. It also, in Louisiana, you don't really have to go outside because there are no sidewalks or anything. And if Correct. you're traveling anywhere, you're in a heated car. Um, in New York, it's not really like that. So, um, I, on the one hand, I'm sort of looking forward to the experience. Right. I like the idea of, like, there being snow around and Christmas lights and, um, you know, ice skating at Rockefeller Center that sort of idyllic idea Um, but I'm
0: sure the novelty of that is going to wear off very quickly year two yeah (laughs) remember when I did my podcast uh, soul survivors in Seoul I mean, Seoul would get a legit winter and uh, one of my one of my co-hosts Pam she basically she had lived all her life in uh, San Diego and uh, never ever once experienced winter and the first time she ever experienced winter she moves to Seoul and she comes in the first really cold day and she's just like she's just almost catatonic and she's like I I I only knew winter from TV and movies and like nobody wears a a a, a we call it a toque in Canada. No one wears a wool yeah. hat. No one wears a scarf, gloves. Everyone just walks around with their coat open, and that, <laughs> that's what I thought winter was about, you know. And I'm like, yeah, no, yeah, you you got to get yourself, you get yourself a toque. You got to button up, get yourself a scarf. You know, put on three pairs of socks. It's the only way. <laughs> but I was just yeah, like, you know, I
1: yeah. I don't own a winter coat, and I uh, I didn't want to. Get one before the move because I didn't want to travel with more than I traveled with. So now I I guess I'm on the lookout, but I don't know if I should go ahead and get one or wait until it gets cold enough to have one. I don't know where to buy one. I don't know what to look for in a winter coat.
0: Something warm. (laughs) Something with that. Yeah, I guess that's a good idea. Something with pockets. Uh something an in inside pocket that's good too. So you can, you know, keep your wallet in there and uh yeah. I did I did a little bit of research and I
1: found there's some controversy about um or some some disagreement about down, natural down versus synthetic down.
0: <laughs> you know, I just wear like I don't care. I just I just kind of wear a wool coat kind of quilted inside um if you can find something that has like a like a kind of a a, a zip in lining so you uh-huh. know as it, you know it gets when it gets less cold you can just zip out the lining and then you know you still kind of got your winter coat but zip out the lining and then it's not you know it's it's not quite as warm yeah yeah it's not it's uh-huh. my only advice but definitely get get some get some mitts I don't ever wear boots. And my wife freaks out all the time. Like, you don't wear boots. I just wear runners, even when it's snowy. I just, I don't like boots. I can't, I can't walk in boots. Boots just make me sad and miserable. But, um, well, you know, I, I bought a
1: pair of fur lined boots when I went to Adak, Alaska. Oh, okay. Because uh, I expected it to be much colder than it was. And they turned out to be so comfortable. I still have them oh Uh, they're like too warm to wear in california but i
0: did bring them with me because uh, they might come in handy here i think they will i think they will all right brian all right so your uh your podcast again is
1: uh whatever happened to pizza at mcdonald's
0: okay you know you just search that and you'll find it all right and sometimes you use the article Whatever happened to the pizza? The, you you, you announce it as the title of the show, What Happened to Pizza at McDonald's, but then <laughs> we're asking, whatever happened to the pizza at McDonald's? What the?
1: Yeah, the, every show begins with yeah. whatever, happened Mc, well, uh, uh, whatever Happened to Pizza at McDonald's. Well, Welcome to Whatever Happened to Pizza McDonald's, the uh, investigative journalism program where I ask the question, whatever happened to the pizza at McDonald's? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, I, I started to... You know, so much of this thing is just something I decided to do on a whim uh,
0: so many years ago and now i'm stuck with it so i i I I, i've been doing this podcast since 2007 it is like 2023 now and yeah you are you, you you are the biggest delta between uh you know second appearances that's for sure 2009 back on in 2023. But to this day I still don't know. It's my podcast called The Conspiracy Skeptic or is it Conspiracy Skeptic? I I am I think I think I've been trying to stand it cuz I I you know, you know I wrote a book, you know. Uh yeah. God, Skeptic's book I have it. Oh great. Thank you for buying it. Uh the paperback or the Kindle? Uh paperback. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. physical I, copy. Oh, I have yeah. the, the, uh, the 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 the
1: the the uh errored version, the one oh. that's okay. Oh, with backwards the, did, on the spine or something.
0: Oh, oh, well, yeah, the the that'll probably be valuable one day. Just you know, well, I mean, I got I got to murder some people and then eat them, eat li- literally eat them for that book to be valuable. <laughs> you know, when people <laughs> ask me to sign it, they're like, "Did <laughs> you sign it?" I'm like, "You know, it's not it more valuable unless I actually you know." carl great you know the cannibal of burlington ontario dude like literally ate the living flesh off of four people i got a book signed by him i'll give you a thousand dollars you know like
2: that's. Only-
1: i mean look i mean i don't want to disparage your character but it could happen you know anything's possible <laughs> I don't know so just in case i have mine in a very secure location in my vault
0: I am married. I am capable of snapping at any time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> More quadrites are going up. Man, I, yeah, right. Yeah, I, I am I am two steps away from starting to consume human beings. Of course. I
1: mean, that's what the neighbors always say. It was so normal and quiet. <laughs>
0: Just, who, who knew he had a basement full of body parts that he, <laughs> he nibbled on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this has taken a dark turn, hasn't it? Which is New York, skating in Rockefeller Center, eating people. Yeah yeah you know what it's like it's that's the urban life you know <laughs> exactly you gotta be prepared for any eventuality <laughs> all right all right brian i will let you go thank you thank you for for coming on right yeah listen to if you've not heard what whatever happened to pizza and mcdonald's listen to it it's uh you've been on npr loves you and new york times loves you and you, you you've been you've got a lot of good press haven't you I did, yeah. The New York Times did
1: a big profile on the show, which was very nice. But also, I think it was like at the height of the pandemic, and they were desperate for any kind of non-depressing thing to feature in the paper. So, came at the right time.
0: You think your life is bad? Check this guy out. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think literally <laughs> that's what they were thinking.
0: Oh, all right then. All right, I will. I will let you go. Have a, have a good. Have a good night there. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
2: You promised me Broadway was waiting for me You're
0: handsome. You were pretty queen off New York City When, when the band, band finished playing, playing. they held out the more Sinatra was swinging, all the dunks they were singing We kissed on a corner, corner, then danced through the night The boys of the envelope in were singing Go away And the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day, Day.
3: But you scumbag, you're mega, cheek cheek lousy bagger, happy Christmas, you're all like, got it all love. The flies of the NYPD chorus still
0: singing, going red. And the bells are ringing up for Christmas I
2: Day. I could have been someone. I cut them with me by I put them with my own
0: Can't make it all alone i built my dreams around you The boys in the NYPD Chorus the Go away by And the bells
3: are ringing out For Christmas Day
2: All right, our guest this week is a noted uh, actor, director, champion water skier. Uh, You probably know him mostly as the cigarette-smoking man from The X-Files. He's also appeared on Stargate, SG-1, Smallville, uh, lots of television shows and movies. Uh, William B. Davis, and we're happy to have him. Uh, Mr. Davis, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. And I wanted to get started by talking about... uh, something that I think a lot of people don't realize about you. I know I didn't realize it until pretty recently, that you have been pretty heavily involved in the skeptical movement. I know you've done work with PSYCOP, which is now uh, called CSI, the Center for uh, Skeptical Inquiry. Um, So can you explain how you got involved with working with the sort of heroes of the skeptical movement?
3: Well, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, I've always – I mean, I have a degree in philosophy, and I've always been – an examiner of, of uh, and a doubter of, of uh, paranormal events and similar kinds of uh, uh, fantasy worlds, and I'm an atheist. And uh, but uh, what happened was uh, when I was on the X-Files. Of course, people misunderstand what actors do. They don't realize that we do a job because we get a job. But they think. They think we've chosen this job because we're particularly fascinated with the subject. Mm -hmm. And so people assumed often that, uh, of of course, I was really interested in aliens and and paranormal events. And, of course, I believed in these things. And I would have to explain to them, well, no, actually, I don't actually believe in aliens, or or at least that there are any aliens among us. Mm -hmm. And... And they would say, well, 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 why not? And I would answer with, well, the onus is on you to prove it and not on me to disprove it. Uh, but that was never very satisfactory to them, needless to say. And so puzzling how to deal with this, I happened to be listening to the radio one day to an interview with Barry Beierstein, who tragically died only a few months ago. But he was an active member of PSYCOP, and he was doing an interview explaining how they actually set up experiments in which uh, the believer, if you like uh, let's say um, let's say somebody who's advocating dowsing for water, sure, uh, and they would set up a, a, a situation with that person, saying, well, all right, let's do a test, let's see how this works and uh, the test would uh, always fail according to scientific criteria. Anyway, this this train and this, of course, uh, so then I, I followed this up and I talked to him and I found him and we became very good friends and I discovered the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal or PSYCOP and uh, that's one of the things they do. They look at these claims that people make and apply scientific uh, methodology and scientific criteria to see if there's validity to any of these things. Um, and uh, this, of course, gave me much better, uh, much, much better uh, means with which to respond to the fans who said, yeah, well, what about uh, um, Area 54 or what about uh, blah, 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 blah. Or,
2: do you uh, find that there are a lot of X-Files fans that, that buy into, the, the I guess, the mythology of the show that really believe in that sort of thing? Or, or do you think that there are a lot that, that take it as fantasy and take it as just kind of escapism?
3: Well, here, here, was another, here was another issue that I was uh, confronted with. I mean, I'm glad to hear you say that, because uh, one of my heroes is Richard Dawkins, has been for a long time before he became famous with his latest book. Um, and he was kind of on a campaign against the X-Files, because basically he said, you know, every, on, on every show, a certain idea is put forward, a certain uh, paranormal idea is put forward, and there is the believer in that, which is Mulder, and there is the skeptic, which is Scully, and every, on every episode, Mulder turns out to be right, and in, in fact, whatever it was, whether it was an alien abduction or a past life or whatever, turns out to be true, according to the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he felt that it was um, propagating um, pseudoscience belief. He, of course, never tested that premise scientifically, <laughs> uh, uh, which I thought perhaps he should. <laughs> yeah, I, I know.
2: It's interesting you should bring up Dawkins because I think, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of his as well, and I really you know respect him more than, than just about anybody, but I, he has a tendency, I think, sometimes to be a little literalist and um, to not
3: quite have
2: a sense of humor sometimes when he probably should.
3: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that could be because this is—I mean—it's a testable hypothesis. I mean, you could take people who watch X Files and people who don't watch X Files, and or or people who um, start to watch the show and let them watch the show for a while and see if their opinions change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, none of that, of course, has been done. Uh, I would do little uh, little experiment, just uh, random straw samples when I was doing uh, talks. at, ex-file conventions, and I would, I would ask the group, uh, how many of them believed uh, that there are aliens among us? And usually, about fifty percent of the people put their hands up. Mm-hmm. Um, alien abductions, maybe not quite so many. Then I would ask them, how many people believe in in government conspiracies? Every single hand. And I would say, well, this was in the Clinton years, and I would say, but, but if he couldn't even keep secret eight private meetings with an intern, <laughs> how on earth are they keeping the whole thing of alien abductions?
2: Well, uh, do you think that the, what what do you think the role is for fantasy in the sort of skeptical mindset? Do you think that there's a place for it, and what like what does a show like The X Files have to offer somebody who is a skeptic of a skeptical mindset outside of you know just this literal interpretation of what's going on in the story?
3: Well, I think I mean I think it, it, as you said it it's uh, it's a story. I mean uh, I mean. Nobody believes Gandalf really exists. Why do we have to believe that he doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. sorry, Gandalf, no. I was
2: just about to drink some mead from a hollowed-out horn, and then you say, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know when the last time you were on your way to uh, to school and you tried going through a wall to get there, but right. Uh, you, um, usually, you don't try twice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but on the other hand uh, Dawkins has a point because this is set up a little bit differently it's not quite set up as a fantasy quite the way um, uh, the Harry Potters are or the uh, or the you know or the ring stories or whatever um, it does sort of you know because they have FBI people and they have all of this stuff and um, but I think it none, nonetheless I think it's basically a fantasy it obviously has to be seen as that and many of the writers who were skeptics uh, uh, they didn't believe <laughs> their, mm-hmm. in, in, in a lot of what they were putting out. What was interesting uh, from a skeptical point of view, or I guess from any kind of um, pseudoscientific point of view, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, was in the early years, they kind of ran out of them, but in the early years, they sort of took every kind of pseudoscience idea that somebody believed in and basically said, well, suppose it's really true. right? Then what? You know, and then uh, so eventually yeah, they, yeah. they ran out of things that uh, people really do believe in and had to make up things that nobody believes in.
2: Given, given the character that you played on uh, uh, The X-Files, what do you think about these um, 9-11 conspiracy theorists that think the government was secretly behind it and they have this uh, insidious agenda?
3: You know, this, this, this was a really embarrassing experience for me because... Uh, I didn't actually know about that particularly, and I, I went to a, a meeting uh, of a small kind of group in, in Vancouver that was organizing uh, um, kind of left-leaning meetings, and uh, a writer that I admire who, whose book on Iraq I had uh, been particularly impressed by was speaking, so I went to this meeting, and then I met these people, and they said, oh, gosh, would you, chair, would you host our next meeting? They said it was going to be about nine eleven and I said, "Oh sure, why not? Mm-hmm. thinking it would be another small group like these um, turns out it was a huge meeting. there were like six hundred people there, and the, the author, whose name escapes me just at the moment, but you probably know uh, you know was was a great advocate of this whole theory that the Bush administration had actually launched to actually were actually responsible for the nine eleven, and and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, so I found myself hosting something that was totally bizarre.
2: You know, you know what? That's what George Bush would love every American to believe that in, in Canada it's just a bunch of left leaning secret meetings about how the government was, was responsible for nine eleven. <laughs> but um, do you think that I've I noticed that too? That especially with the nine eleven thing. Uh, there seem to be a lot of you know otherwise intellectual thoughtful people that kind of get sucked up into it and and I think you know I don't I don't know anything I don't I, <laughs> <laughs> I have no credentials but I think my my intuition is that that people are just searching for answers and that this is a major event that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense you know, at a fit. I mean, it's just a random act of pure hatred. It's too simple that that, that fanatics did it. They want to construct. right, and and so people would rather have a wrong answer than have no answer at all. Which I think is something similar to the way that people think about religion or the way people come to to be religious. And I think you've talked about this in the past. Do you have anything? Uh, do you have any thoughts on that?
3: Well, just just um, I mean, kind of backing up a little bit, I guess. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think. Uh, the, the truth of 9-11 is really pretty simple. I mean, a bunch of guys with box cutters figured a way to get into airplanes and, and hijacked them into, uh, into buildings. And because at that time we didn't really believe plane hijackers would commit suicide, we weren't really watchful of that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it won't happen again because now we know that mm-hmm. they're prepared to kill themselves. They used to just, you know, want it landed in some foreign land or something, want some um, hostages released or prisoners released or something. Um, and I think it's, uh, to me, the whole truth, uh, whatever they call themselves, the Truth Commission or whatever it is on the 9 11 is really unfortunate because, as you say, there's some intelligent left leaning people who have some really important things to contribute, who are actually sidelined by this uh, cause. And uh, it's kind of taken them out of the loop that anybody's going to believe in them and, and therefore weaken the left. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think you may well be right that, that um, the human... Actually, it's interesting, whether I talked about this before, but I mean, the human mind likes stories. And uh, we've always liked stories as a way of kind of explaining what we do or who we are or how we live. And, uh, whether, whether we're a primitive or a sophisticated society, story has played a key element in uh, how we communicate about our lives to each other. And, um, so there is a, a, yeah, a great deal that actually happens in the world for which there is no story. Uh, which is relatively random and accidental, uh, including probably our own existence. Uh, and we try to find stories to, uh, to to explain that, and so I think you're right. I think uh, uh, that's obviously been a driving factor in religion, in organized religion, well, any religion yeah.
2: Uh, we're running out of time here, uh, but I would kill myself if I didn't <laughs> if I didn't ask you. I know that I know that your character met kind of a, an untimely end at the end of the X Files TV series, and I know they're also working on a new movie. Is there any way we might see you in the new X Files movie? It's not looking good. I have to tell you uh, <laughs> that breaks my heart. It's like when you told me Gandalf wasn't real. <laughs>
3: Well, um, no, there's been no indication from them that they want to use any of the mythology characters. So what, so, what are you working on these days? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing some post-production on a uh, short film that I made about an aging water skier. I uh, <laughs> wonder what made me think of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, I have, there's a couple of films I've made that have not been released yet, uh, uh, there's Numb uh, with Matthew Perry and passengers with uh, Patrick Wilson and uh, Anne Hathaway, um, mm-hmm. which will be released soonish. And I'm uh, um, auditioning and looking for stuff to do. I just finished doing a play, which I hadn't been on stage for a while, so that was great fun. And um, I have a ski race on Thursday. So, All
2: nice. right. Well, uh, good, uh, good luck. luck. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And like I said, it's, it's been a real thrill and a real honor and a privilege talking to you. So thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.